Hello, I'm Healing the Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded on, the Wurundjeri region. We pay further acknowledgement to country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Welcome to Hello, I'm Healing, the podcast. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm so excited to have you here. This is the podcast for sharing stories, experiences, and journeys of medical traumas and illness. A safe space for you to feel educated and hopefully less alone in whatever you are going through. This is the podcast of breaking down topics that some find taboo or uncomfortable, and instead help empower you, help educate you, help you feel less alone, and more importantly, help you heal. Because at the end of the day, you aren't alone. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to Hello, I'm Healing the Podcast. It's me, your host Renee, and I'm so excited for today's episode. On today's episode, we have the beautiful Jessica, or Jess, I hope you like being called Jess, And I'm just really, really excited to hear your story. So let's just jump into it. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you've been through? Thank you so much for having me. So yes, I'm fine with Jess. I think everyone likes to have a shorter name when you call Jessica. I am 24. I live on the Gold Coast. I'm at uni studying a Bachelor of Laws, um, so I will be a lawyer in about six months' time. Yeah, that's just a quick summary of me. Amazing. I love that. How exciting. Six months to go. That's going to come around in no time. Yeah, I can't wait. It's a, a, it's a long haul, six years of uni. I bet. So what was your diagnosis or your illness that you will be chatting to us today about? So I have quite a few, not just one. So I was first, I suppose, I'm my We'll just jump into the story so it sort of makes a bit of chronological sense how it all came about. First, I was diagnosed with common variable immune deficiency, it's CVID for short. So when I was probably around three or four, I was constantly getting sick. So mum was always taking me to the doctors. Doctors would just give you antibiotics and say, oh, she's just got a cold, you know, from kindergarten. She'll be fine. You know, she's only little, she'll get better. And then I would often end up coming back to the doctors a month later. Same thing. Antibiotics, she'll be fine. She's just little. She's at kindy. A lot of germs going around. At this time, we were living in Melbourne. So the pediatricians in Melbourne thought were pretty, pretty top notch. Then we made the choice to move to Bright in country Victoria. And I was still having the same issues right up until I was about 12. And it wasn't until I went and saw the local GP there. And he said to mum, I think I know what's wrong. And it was one simple blood test later that... Yeah, I was diagnosed with CVID. So essentially, it means I have, you have antibodies and normal people have antibodies. I don't produce antibodies or I don't produce enough antibodies to protect me from, you know, infections, colds, viruses and that sort of thing. Wow, that is absolutely crazy. And it's so crazy that it was just a blood test and it got missed and then it was just a simple blood test in a small regional town. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought coming to when I was around 12, 
13, I thought, am I, like, is it all in my head kind of thing? Like, I know I'm sick, but why am I so sick is the other issue. But, yeah, it was great to hear that this one local GP who he said he read about it in just, like, a journal article and was like, I think I think you have it. And that's what it was. And so from now, from that day, I received IVIG treatment. So immunoglobulin via an IV infusion. I was receiving that every three weeks. So every three weeks I would go to hospital, have an infusion, and then my levels would be boosted back up. But during that time, I would find sort of on that third week, as I was about to go back to hospital, I was still getting quite sick. So in Australia, around when I was 16, they were introducing a new thing called skid. So essentially, it's an infusion that you can administer at home through your subcutaneous fat. So now I have what I like to say is a blood bank in my ham drawer in the fridge and I can do it all at home I don't have to worry about it going into hospital at the moment wow so how does that affect you day to day it's a lot more stable than having to go to hospital I think the whole idea of hospital kind of just drains your body physically and mentally and having to sit there and receive an infusion over you know most of the time it was six hours six and a half hours you would come out kind of feeling worse than you did when you went in and it would sort of take a week to get back to normal and now doing it at home I don't I don't have any symptoms. I'm just essentially giving myself a little infusion and it's great. It's It fits in well with my schedule. So I'm not having to take a day off all the time. So I love it. It's a great thing. Yeah, that's amazing. And obviously you're still so young. So yeah, you definitely want to have convenience and yeah less symptoms but yeah that's exactly right no one if you can avoid it you'll do anything to avoid you know the thought of hospital in my mind yeah absolutely definitely um if we can stay away from those places it's definitely much better and so then moving forward is that that obviously affects you day to day and that is just a part of your life now and that will continue for the rest of your life is that correct yeah, it does It does make me quite run down, um, obviously, if there's any sort of bugs going around. And especially with COVID, that was a real struggle because as soon as COVID sort of hit Australia, I was told by my doctors, you know, don't go out, isolate, stay at home, family, stay at home. And yeah, that was probably spent probably good maybe six months at home during this peak COVID period. But, you know, I can still do as anything else you know everything else that anyone else does it's given me that freedom I love that I think yeah you don't want to live in fear but you also need to take care of yourself so yeah I think that's really important to almost find a balance in between that to not lock yourself away but to still live your life yeah it it gives you that freedom which I'm very grateful how I don't know how they managed to figure out giving you a blood transfusion through your subcutaneous layer of fat but it's pretty incredible yeah absolutely and so apart from like what were your kind of what were your symptoms really I mean obviously you were getting sick all the time but do you you were quite young and you're a little kid when this was happening so do you remember it or does your has your mum told you kind of what were the symptoms leading into this or was it just you kind of had a a kindergarten flu pretty much yeah kindergarten I was always just you know she's got a cold she's got a runny nose and it was sort of just everyone dismissed it and then coming into school same thing I would end up going to school and then I'd end up feeling so sick I'd you know got to go to sick bay call mum dad pick me up from school and then straight to the doctors and it was just a repeated cycle that no one 
seem to want to investigate until we met that doctor in a country town. And I still played, I still played netball at the time. So having sort of repeated chest infections as well, I would develop this kind of chronic cough and it's like a hacking cough. And when playing netball, obviously your heart rate increases and everything else is working overtime. And I would end up coughing so much, I would essentially throw up on the netball court. But in saying that, I would never like let that stop me. Mum would hand me like a little bucket or something and I'd get it over and done with and I'd be back on the court playing. Wow, that's incredible. Also, if anyone is listening and they have been to Bright before, it is so cold in that area. It's not even funny. <laughs> it's freezing, especially that cold air makes your chest a bit you know, it makes it worse when you you breathe in and oh, I'm glad I'm off the Gold Coast now in the sunny weather. Yeah, absolutely. So during this time you were going through, obviously you were little, but then going into school and high school and things like that and still having to manage this. How did the people around you respond to it? How did they treat you? Was it a good experience? Was it kind of people were just really uneducated and didn't know how to deal with it or have conversations around it? Like who was your support and what was it like for the people around you? I think as I sort of got through maybe year nine, around year eight, I found those people that were able to support me and that were actually quite interested in knowing what was wrong with me and what my treatment was like and some of them found it really fascinating and especially, you know, as you head into that senior years of schooling, they were able to support me and, you know, if I missed work, they were able to provide me with the work and so I wasn't falling behind. But I suppose I really struggled when I was diagnosed with my later conditions, trying to find friends that I suppose I could feel like I related to because I didn't have any sort of limitations as such like school camp and that sort of thing they could do all the activities whereas I was a bit more restricted and had to be careful and sensible and think about my health and how this might affect my health later on and I do remember probably one of the worst experiences was being teased and saying I had a condition I'll, I'll say it they said that I had AIDS as a kid kids would tease me and say I had AIDS and that's why I was receiving IVIG treatment in hospital because it's the same treatment I I believe that is received for HIV AIDS so I believe that was sort of a misunderstanding especially at that younger age I mean kids kids don't know what they're talking about and yeah that they're uneducated at that time but they weren't willing to listen to let me explain what was going on at the same time, which was which was really hard. It was really hard. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how that would have been. I think being a teenager and going through school in general is just a really, really hard time. And we're all trying to re- discover who we are and, and all of that. And then to throw something like this into the mix as well, it definitely comes with more challenges. And yeah, people people only know what they know. And yeah, that's why we're here and we're talking about it. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. And then moving forward, I don't know if you want to go into like some of your other illnesses or not completely up to you, but yeah, what kind of happened and stemmed from and went on from there? So the next stage was quite, it was quite interesting in the sense it was putting the missing pieces of the puzzle together. I remember I was in year eight and 
I had this pain in my left arm just around like the tricep area and I went to show mum and mum's like no like what are you talking about that's like your muscle and I could feel a lump and I went to see my immunologist and she goes no that's not your tricep muscle that's a lump and basically from there I had ultrasounds MRIs trying to figure out what this lump was and eventually I was diagnosed with an AVM an arterial venous malformation and for context AVMs are normally found in the brain they are a tangle like clunk of arteries and veins that are essentially overgrown so the way the doctors explained it to me was that all your veins and arteries kind of like are a packet of spaghetti nice and straight and streamlined whereas yours at the moment is like a a ball of cooked spaghetti all tangled and all the blood's trying to feed in and out and it gets stuck wow and so do they know why it was in your tricep area if it is normally in the brain like could they could they tell you how that happened or why that happened or they just it was unknown they just said it was spontaneity it was just from birth you know I mean I'm very very grateful that it wasn't in my brain because it's a lot easier to operate on your arm than it is doing you know neurosurgery and then moving on I it kind of all clicks in if I I guess it all made it all made sense to me in the end so when I was about 16 I found a breast lump and then went to my doctor same process went to the pediatric oncologist they both said to me at that time shit they said they've never seen like this kind of presentation in such a young age and I had ultrasounds MRIs on my breast lumps then I was diagnosed with juvenile papillomatosis of the breast so essentially lumpy breasts papillomatosis in both breasts and I had a number of biopsies and while I was receiving treatment for the AVM my surgeon there said I think you need to get tested for this genetic condition and that condition is called Cowden syndrome and I got tested and I came back as a positive result so essentially that means I have a high risk just of developing sort of lumps and bumps both malignant and benign so the main areas that you develop them are your thyroid endometrium colon stomach and breast so that kind of put everything together for me like why this was all happening like it wasn't just okay we're going to give you you know the world wanted to give me three conditions or at that time and not have a a reason behind it and so was there treatment available for that or is that again just something that you kind of live with and manage day to day and then keep an eye on it so Cowden syndrome because it's genetic there is no treatment it's just a matter of monitoring those areas where there's a high risk of developing certain types of cancers but I also have a lot of just general lumps and bumps in my body so I have quite a few on my sternum along with my breasts, near my vocal cords. I'm sure I have more that I haven't found. But, yeah, it's just a matter of monitoring, having regular colonoscopies, gastroscopies, that sort of thing. Wow. that I'm, like, gobsmacked. I mean, you're so young to go through this, and I just feel like you're taking this on and just finding light in it all and just rolling with it, which is so incredible. So you should be so proud of yourself because – yeah, I would be hard. 
It, it definitely is. And I think it hit me the most when I was actually diagnosed with thyroid cancer at 18. So I had just finished high school and the doctor just said, you know what? You're not meant to go get this Cowden syndrome, your thyroid and those sort of things checked out until, until you're in your 40s. Like you're way too young. That's not what the guidelines say. So let's not do it. But then this one doctor said, you know what? Just go get it checked out so we have a baseline. So we can come back in, say, five years' time and we can compare results. And I went to the doctors. I had a scan and I could see his face just drop on why he was doing the scan. And I had a biopsy and I sort of I sort of knew it. And that was the first time I went to see a specialist without my mum. My mum has been the biggest support as well. So I thought, great, great. The first time I went to a specialist and they're going to tell me something's wrong. And I came back and it was thyroid cancer. So it was in its early stages and it was quite, a, I suppose, a stressful time. But also everyone was so, the doctors were very much on board, ready to help in any shape they could. And it was probably one of the, one of the less stressful and ended up being treatment processes I've went through just because of how supportive my environment was at the time. I love that. I really love that. I think that when you have good support around you, it really, really does help going through something like that. Yeah. And I remember the surgeon who did the surgery and he was, he was fantastic. He was playing, I remember Billy Joel before I went into the operating theatre and I love Billy Joel and he said, oh, do you want to come see Billy Joel with me at Madison Square Park? And I said, when are you going? He's like, oh, I'm flying out, you know, in a week's time. Do you want to come? Jokingly, of course. And I said, I'm having surgery. Like, am I going to be fit to come come and see him? He's like, oh, my God, you'll be fine in a week knowing you. Like, you're fine. You're, this is nothing. Like, And it really, as much as you think at the moment that this is going to, like, change your life, which it does, it's really just a small park in the journey of life itself. Wow, that's beautiful. So for that, was it just, I'm not, I don't want to say as simple as a surgery, but was it just a surgery and they got a clear margin and they cut it out and, and away you went or did you still have to go through treatment? So I had my thyroid removed. I had a bit of the muscle in my neck removed because it was sort of protruding and going into the muscle and I believe half of the parathyroid removed as well. And then the margins there were quite clean, but they still wanted to do a radioactive treatment. So I was in hospital and had radioactive treatment and had the nuclear scans after just because of the Cowden syndrome as well. They can never be sure if any of the lumps that I had were related to the thyroid cancer itself, but that thankfully came back all clear. Wow, that's incredible. I'm so glad it came back all clear. And yeah, amongst all of this, you still had to have your other medication for your other illnesses as well, I'm guessing. Like they didn't stop either. No, they didn't stop. And that's always, I suppose, the risk with someone who's immunocompromised is hospitals need to, I suppose, make those arrangements to reduce the chance of infection because I've been in hospital so many times where I've come out sort of sicker than I went in because I caught a bug in hospital. I had 
I mean, cellulitis after one of my arm operations and I was straight into hospital trying to fix that up as well as recover from the AVM surgery. So it's trying to, it's like you're trying to coordinate all your conditions together so that one doesn't affect more than the other and you can still recover at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you kind of, it was a mixed experience within the healthcare system and correct me if I'm wrong. How would you describe your your experience within the healthcare system? Was it good? Was it negative? Was it kind of just we're in and we're out and away you go? Or what was it like for you? Uh, sometimes I've gone, are you serious? Like how long do I have to wait for an appointment? As a lot of people are probably aware, doctors never run on time. And I remember sitting in chairs for hours on end thinking, is the doctor ever going to come? Like it's just it's so draining it is very draining and I think the pediatric side of things was great there is a lot of support for children going through treatment with you know cancer and chronic conditions or terminal conditions it's amazing but once I hit I suppose that 19 20 year old mark where you start transitioning into adult care is where I really struggled. I struggled to find doctors that would understand the Cowden side of things as well as having an interest, not just in their area, but in understanding the whole picture for me. Because for me, it's not just treating one condition. You have to, you have to treat them all at the same time to achieve that kind of balance, which makes me the best I can be. Yeah, it's a really hard age. It's almost like this age is almost forgotten about because we live in an age where, oh, no, you're too young, you're too healthy. Exactly what the doctors said to you when, you know, when you did ask to go get those first original scans for your thyroid, you're too young for this, it'll be fine. And it wasn't. And so, I mean, good on you and that doctor for just pushing for it. I think sometimes we don't use our voice enough. We're not bulletproof. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the biggest advocate. If you think something's wrong and your doctor tells you no, get a second opinion. Get a third opinion. Get a fourth opinion. Don't let it sit there if you know it's affecting you because I've done that so many times, especially when I've had infections and I've made myself worse at the end. So as a result of that, now I've got bronchiectasis where I've got damaged bungs because I wasn't probably proactive enough and didn't advocate for myself when I was sick. Absolutely. I think intuition is a is a wonderful thing. And if your gut's telling you something, it's telling you that for a reason. A hundred percent. Always push, push for, you know, more answers or more investigations if you think something's wrong. Yeah. So this is a an interesting question that I have for you because I know you've been through a lot and you know, different stages of your life and things like that. But if you were to go back in time and you could change any of it, would you do it? No, I I have been asked that question before. I wouldn't change a thing. I think going through what I have, it's made me a very resilient person. And yes, I get annoyed. I get annoyed all the time having to, you know, see a doctor at least weekly now or having, you know, to communicate with work that I have to go see another doctor and watch them, you know, their eyes roll. But no, I definitely wouldn't change a thing because 
it's developed, it's made me who I am. And as cliche as that sounds, it's true. So day to day now, how are you? How are you actually in life? And with all of this, how are you going? I'm good. I think I'm still struggling to try and find the balance between, I suppose, making sure I'm well enough to just enjoy the simple things in life, but also not forgetting about enjoying those things in life. It's it's a tough challenge because you get so consumed in seeing doctors and planning procedures and receiving treatment that you kind of go, hey, I'm, I'm not really living. Like, I just need to enjoy life a bit more. So that's what I'm trying to figure out at this moment. But I think I'm, I'm getting there. I think as I become sort of more organised with myself and with other people that are helping me, um, it's becoming a lot, a lot easier. I love that. So what's next for you? I know you, you've got six months left of your degree and what's on the horizon for you? Um, so yeah, six months left of my law, law degree, which I'm very excited about. I hope to get into, sounds very strange, but medical negligence claims. So um, I did have quite a big passion and wanting to support individuals who have received treatment that wasn't to their best standard of care that doctors owe I mean I have been through similar experiences myself where I thought hey are they just you know do they know any better or are they just ignoring me so that's where I I see myself working about hopefully when I finish my degree but if not a long-term career goal and hopefully I want to travel overseas at the end of this year I mean everyone misses traveling into I'd love to see that happen for me. That's phenomenal. I'm sure. I'm very confident that those things will happen for you. I think that people that go through a painful experience are so powerful in making that pain their purpose. And yeah, I think that with your experiences, you've experienced the gaps and things like that. And yeah, I truly believe that you'll be able to make some incredible changes and help a lot of people. So I can't wait to see what you get up to and what you do because I think phenomenal things are on the horizon for you. Thank you. I just think sometimes that your life has stages and I think this is a new stage for me. So it's a it's a new beginning and I'm excited to see where it, it, where it goes. I'm excited for you. So I love to ask people this. If you're a listener and you know somebody, so you personally are not going through this yourself, but you know somebody, a family member or a friend, a loved one, a co-worker, somebody in your life going through something similar, how can you support them? Because I think we all need support different and everyone's, yeah, just everyone needs something different. But what was important to you? What do you wish that somebody gave you that they didn't know I sometimes wished people stopped asking me about what was going on with my health just because you're so it consumes you when you're going through treatment that you need an outlet so I wish you know if you know someone that's going through something like that it's great to ask them but see if there's another way that you can open up that conversation quite naturally So I don't know if that's inviting them for a walk or 
going out for coffee or going out for some drinks or dinners or movies or that sort of thing. Don't try and, I suppose, force the conversation upon them. Let it come from them naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think you definitely want to try and live your life as normal as possible in that moment too. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still the same person that you were before all of this. And at your core, you still are the same person and you want to be treated like that. Yeah, you just you want to help them find an escape. You don't want them to feel as though that their health or their treatment is always following them around. Make that new environment for them where they feel like, you know, they're on top of the world, they're enjoying things. Like they feel like anybody else would that's not going through that kind of treatment. Yeah, I I really like that. And I think it's so important. You are absolutely incredible. And I feel like with everything that life has thrown you, you have just kept pushing through and gone above that and proven to beat it and it's never there's obviously been times where it's broken you but you've never let it absolutely destroy you am I correct in saying that yeah there's definitely times where I've I've just felt so angry and I I would have taken it out on mum or dad or my brother and sister which is just you know looking back I totally regret some of the things that I've said in the past but it's it's okay to be angry and it's okay to be mad and frustrated and for you to question why these things are happening for you it's all natural and those people around you know that it's okay too and they know you don't mean it so don't be too hard on yourself yeah I love that so any last minute advice anything else that you want to cover or touch upon for the listeners I just think with my experience, I have learned to advocate for myself, not only in my health, but in life as well. Just never be afraid to speak up if you think something's wrong or if you don't agree with someone, say you want someone else's opinion or tell them why you don't agree. Don't accept things just as straight as they give them to you. There might be other answers we don't know unless we ask it's so powerful it's such a powerful message and yeah the more we advocate for ourselves the quicker we can get on top of things as well and and sometimes we can avoid the issues because they don't happen because we've advocated for ourselves so I love that exactly and you know that's probably the only regret that I had was not doing that for myself but I've learned my lesson and I make sure that I do it now. So I love to finish each episode on a positive quote or mantra or saying or something that either got you through those stages of your experience or something that just gets you through day-to-day life that keeps you in a positive space and keeps you moving forward. Okay, I actually have this tattooed on me. It's um, Carpe Diem, so it means seize the day seize the moment, seize, seize what is now and don't worry about what is in the future. Just, it's just reminds me to enjoy life. That is so beautiful. It's so important. Well, I am so beyond proud of you. I'm so grateful to have had you on and for you to share your story. I truly believe that you're going to do incredible things and it's been an absolute honor to be able to have this conversation with you and I definitely know I've learned so much about so many things by having this conversation and 
yeah, I just really appreciate you and your time and your willingness to share because I know it can be difficult. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to say like, if you find that you're struggling with something or you need support, just reach out to anyone, just someone. If you reach out to someone, someone might know someone else that can offer that support. So just speak up, advocate for yourself and listen to what your body needs. Yeah, absolutely. You're never alone in what you're going through. There's always someone who's walked the path before you. Yeah, that's totally right. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, my love. Um, I'm going to end it here. And yeah, I'm really excited for people to hear your story. And I truly believe it's going to help a lot of people. And I just can't wait to see what you get up to next. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to my story. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Hello, I'm Healing. Please note that the stories you hear are from real people sharing real experiences and we are not health professionals. If today's episode did spark any concern for you, I encourage you to seek professional help and you can see the show notes for contacts. We are an independent podcast, so please like and subscribe and share with your friends and family. It would truly mean the world. Finally, please tag me on Instagram so I can personally thank you for listening. You can find us at underscore hello I'm healing. Until next time, bye for now.